Revelation 21, verses 1 through verse 8. And God's inspired and inerrant and sufficient word reads, Then I saw a new earth had passed away. There is a city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, God is among men, and he will go, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning. Who sits on the throne said, Behold. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The, the one who thirsts from the springs of water. He who overcomes will inherit these things. I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the idolaters, the liars, their part, which is the second death. Father, I just ask a blessing now upon the reading of your word. And Lord, as we spend some time this morning, oh, comments about it. Father, I just pray that your spirit would illuminate this text for us, that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds, not what I have to say, but what, what you pray, Lord, that uh, from you this morning. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I've simply just titled this, Heaven, Out with the Old, In with the New. Out with the Old, In with the New. How do we want to read it? How do we understand it? And, and much is read into it, and, and we always try to find where are we in Revelation, right? Especially when you think about countries and cities and those types of things And in Revelation. Well, America's not listed in, Re in Revelation in one way or another. And so often what we say is that, uh, well, I'm not sure how to explain it all, but I read the last chapter or two that we win. And I think that's a chapter because the last two chapters, 21 and 22 of Revelation, has to be two of the finest chapters in all of Scripture uh, as far as giving us hope. And as John <clears throat> was writing the wording, what he's seen, what he heard, in the back of his mind, or maybe in the forefront of his mind, John had to be thinking of Isaiah, because many of the words that he of Isaiah. And so to get started, go back and look at what John might have had in mind as he was penning these words uh, here in Revelation 21. And so if you want to flip Testament into the original 65, I just want to read a couple verses here Isaiah, from the prophet Isaiah. Now, mind you, this was written probably 700, 750 years or so before John wrote the letters there in Asia Minor. 65 at verse 13, Isaiah there wrote, he said, Thus says the Lord God, or, 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 or um, yeah, the Lord God, Behold, but you will be hungry, my servant. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. My servants will shout joyfully with a glad heart, but you will cry out with a heavy heart. You will leave your name for the Lord God will slay you. But my servants who are called by another name, because he who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by God of truth. He who swears, and here at the end of verse 6, are forgotten, and because they are hidden from my sight. And then verse 17, Isaiah turns the corner and he says, Before our new heavens and the new earth be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. 
No longer will they be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live. Here within this prophecy of Isaiah has written for us in Revelation. The sorrows and the sadness and the pain, there will be no more in heaven in this new heaven. People for what is to come in the midst of all going through, they will pass away. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. The former things won't be remembered or won't even come to mind. Sometimes we wonder, it's like, well, am I going some of the, of course, we want to remember the good things, right? But sometimes we wonder, well, am I going to remember some of the things? Am I going to recognize or know if someone that I love, Isaiah and many other places here, would give it enough? will not come to mind or be remembered. Those things that bring any type of pain or sorrow or suffering in any way will be completely wiped away. And so we're going through individually, corporately, to spread it out. Those things are only temporary. Those things will be done away with, and those things will have no place in heaven. Time before John wrote these words, those same words now in way of fulfillment of what Isaiah the prophet had written. And so in the little outline that I have for you, on jump back there, we'll stay there the rest of the morning. Uh, and we'll stay there the rest of the morning. But, but I simply started and, and laid this out kind of quite simply. And I started with the promise is seen in verses 1 and 2 by Isaiah. And we'll be given again in the next. Here John sees what was promised so long ago. Look at verse 1 of, of Isaiah 21. I mean, Revelation 21. In a new heaven and a new would come that these things would come to pass. And here John is saying, I have seen it. I have seen the new heaven. I have seen the new earth. I have seen what is to come, the old. And so in Revelation, the redemption of the world is like that of people. Just like we did not create ourselves, we had no part in creating ourselves. So too, heaven and earth has not created its one. God starts out. The Bible, in the beginning, what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And also, we could go to many places, but one of the, the psalm that I love so much, David wrote that in our mother, it is God who created the heavens and the earth. We certainly didn't do it. It is God who knit us together and created us. We certainly didn't do it. That's exactly we are given new life not just a restoration of the previous condition. It is the new and the approved. You see what John is writing. I've seen a new heaven and a new earth. The old, the old earth, the old earth is all just as we ourselves are also after our resurrection. This is what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, 3, when he says, Nicodemus, be made new and the kingdom of God. Paul wrote to the church there at Corinth in Corinthians. He said, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He is a new creature. The old things are a, a new person. Uh, the old, behold, new things have come. We will be created new just as the earth and earth will be created new. And, and although it's not going to be something that we can't fully comprehend or understand that we looked at last week, but according to the promise his promise, we are looking forward to what? A new heaven and a new earth that John is now shown in verse 1. He says that there is a new heaven and there is a new earth because the first have passed away. And then at the end of the this little line, it says, there we see. So for you who love the beach, 
I'm sorry about that. Myself, great, let's just have more mountains instead of the ocean. There will no longer, many ways that that can be thought of as you look at there will no longer be any sea. It was thought out through the ancient literature and throughout the biblical text itself. Chaos, a place, a place where, where ships go disappear like the Bermuda Triangle or something. Wow, remember that from way back? You don't hear much about that anymore, I don't think. I'm not sure. But things just disappear out there. And so the sea was a place of evil, of, of uncertainty of, of, as that. So, so possibly some would say uh, that that is the reference here. It's not necessarily that we take that literally, that there will not be any sea. Certainty is eliminated. Think about the good shepherd. And the good shepherd does what? The good shepherd leads his people, leads the sheep beside the quiet waters. And we know running swiftly over the rocks and being, we can be timid and we can be fearful, if you will. And so the good shepherd has to dam up some water so the waters are nice and calm. I've heard that often, I'm sure. As to Revelation 21. That John is saying the sea is no longer. The chaos of it maybe are not there. Or maybe they're nice and calm. And cloud his revelation, which is not, it kind of repeats the same things throughout Revelation. That can be what makes it so difficult to understand. But here in the fourth chapter in verse 6, John writes this. There was something like a sea of there. A sense of peace, a sense of calm. The sea wasn't rolling. The, the rivers weren't flowing. But there was a sense of calmness. In fact, the was there in such a way that visible. Others see also here the sea as the absence of the sea in the 21st chapter. As an imagery of Exodus, we're into the promised land. And as they, they, God dried up the land so that they could pass through that. And so they would see this very more as, as an analogy, as an example, if you will, of that image. Maybe that is so. Maybe that God has indeed removed any barrier that we have to go into heaven. And so maybe the symbolism is there that, that the absence of a sea says in the way of earth has been made clear. But here in verse 1, I see that the absence of the sea is not so much symbolism of the removal of barriers, rather than this one, as we think about a new heaven and a new earth, because the sea has served its purpose. The sea has served its purpose, if you will, that held the dead. Often we, we think ancient literature that held the dead. But the dead here have now been raised. The sea has given up those who were dead, those, or the sea that is to be taken grave. But the sea has also been a place. As we think about who John was writing to, and the government, and the, those who were in power in John come into play as John is writing. He's writing this letter first and foremost, not for us, but for the seven churches of Asia Minor. And so what were these seven churches going through? What dictatorship or what leadership? All through the letter of Revelation, over and over, who is Babylon? Well, Babylon is anybody who fits the bill. Anybody who gives the definition of Babylon could be that. So Babylon was a real place for sure. All the governments, if you will, and who are to come afterwards, they could also be Babylon in this way. But if we look at, at, at Babylon in chapter 17 a little bit, in chapter 17, the time to go through this, I just want to point, and it says that, come here, 
I will show you the judgment of that great harlot, which would be Babylon, who sits on many waters. Also, there's this idea that Babylon was the Babylon as a place of commerce to sell. And people would come in and out, and commerce was taking place. But also that Babylon sat here on many waters. And that Babylon was here and kind of, so possibly that's what John is talking about. Verse 1, as he says, that there no longer will be this oppression. There no longer will be this, this rulership of this governing evil folk will be no more. I saw the holy city. I saw a holy city coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for his. I, I, I like this. <clears throat> said, I had a brother who liked to do remodel work. And I hated remodel. I despised remodel work because I always said I like to work with clean dirt. <laughs> I like to start from the ground up with some fix anybody else's stuff. I want to start. That's what John is saying here. N- Nehemiah, when he went back to rebuild the temple walls, he went back and rebuilt and restored the walls of the city and had that, no, this Jerusalem coming out of, this Jerusalem out of heaven is built in a way that only God could build it. Only God could build it in such a way. This is the city when Abraham said, or when the the which has foundations, architect and builder is God. This is not a man-made city. This is not a, a remodel or a restoration of another project new. And we'll get into this next week. One here we see and it gives the description of exactly how this city is built and what it is made of in a way. And it says that he came crystal clear. He goes through the, how thick the walls were, that there were 12 gates, and who guards the gates, and that the gates are big pearls. And, and, and this angel who took Paul around, listen, listen to Stanley tape measure. This, it was a gold measuring rod that he took around and he measured everything, the stones and what it was built upon. And you can see that this is a type of new heaven that only in this is the promise John was shown. John was shown this promise given to Isaiah so long ago. And here is John trying to put into, how do you do that? We don't necessarily take literally, but we know and understand that it is nothing like we've experienced before. But John also was then uh, given a promise, just as Isaiah see that the promise was given. And he says that I heard a loud voice from the throne. Now, this loud voice from the throne was not God. We don't know who this loud voice was. Obviously, a loud voice from the throne. It said, behold, that the task is here is among you, will be among you. And often you will hear uh, speakers or writers say something like God tabernacled among us. Uh, That's just a way of, I didn't just dwell within the local. But the tabernacle of God, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Now, there's two words in these three verses that I want to, among, the word among, and among is used three times. It promises what? The secret promises that God will be among men. God will be among men. God will dwell among them, and then again among them. How many times? What we are looking forward to, how many times have we wondered, is like, God, where are you? Do you even hear my prayers? Are you anywhere because we're, we know, and yet, not yet. This will be a time that God will be among us, not in the holy of holies, not in a special place, not in a pillar of fire, will be among us, come among us. Just as it was that verse that we have, 
after Adam and Eve had done what they were not supposed to do, and they heard the voice of God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Stored that God will walk among us in the garden in the cool of the day. You see, the serpent had told Adam and Eve, had given them a false promise like God. God does not want you to eat. You will be like God, and God knows that. And God does not want you to be that way. And so right from the beginning, there was this desire to not necessarily be know God and to, and, to, and to have. And they disobeyed God in this way. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, where John wrote there, he said that, Beloved, and it has not appeared as yet what, that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And what he wrote long ago, how it will be. That God will once again be among his people. Second in verses 3 and 4, uses this word will in verses 1 through 8. But in these two verses, he uses will five times. And he says here that God will dwell among every tear. He, there will be any mourning. None of these things will be. All will be taken away. God is not the divine comforter. Is not how we sorrow. God isn't like the, the father and we're comforted in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of when we've hurt ourselves in whatever way it may be. No, but those things will be completely eliminated and taken. John here is being to look to the future, knowing that although the faithful may suffer now, pain, sorrow, death will have no place in heaven and no place. That's what we're, the promise. Revelation 21. See, John seen the promise. The promise was shown to him. The promise was given to him. And now in verses 5 and 6, we see that God himself, and he who sits on the he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. All things new. And he said, Right, for these words true. And then he said, It is the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of water of life without revelation. And he ends of who he is. The very first chapter, God started with these same words. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is, who will appear in Revelation 21 at the end of the book, declaration. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Again, the words here. John must have been hearing. We're not going to flip back there but anymore. But in Isaiah 40, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But we see these same words in Isaiah 40 at verse 12. You can write this text down. I don't know if I have it in your outline. But in Isaiah 40, Isaiah writes this, he says, hollow of his hand, I marked off the heavens by a span and calculated the dust of the earth by a measure and weighed the mountains in a balance. Who has done this? Verse 15, be bucket, but are regarded as a speck of dust on the scale. Verse 18, to whom then will you liken God? Or what like? I love this. As for the smith plates it with gold and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not build craftsmen to prepare an idol. The ridiculousness of that. And this is what you're worshiping. And Isaiah says in verse 22, no, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like a curtain. Listen to the sign. And he spreads 
It is he who reduces rules to nothing, who makes judges of the earth meaningless. To whom then will you listen? But lift up your eyes on high, stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of sing. Mornings especially. Sometimes you see the shooting stars. Sometimes you decide in the morning, it's like, wow, quite a few of them. And you see these shooting stars. God misses. Saying there is nothing that happens. That This is the God who said, I am the beginning, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Richard Bachman writes in the theology of, of, of the book of Revelation on Tuesday night. But, but he writes this. Human made gods. This God is utterly incomparable one to whom all nations are subject, whose purpose none can frustrate. It's faith that determines the prophetic outlook of the designation, the Alpha and the Omega. God precedes all things as their creator, and he will bring all things to eschatological fulfillment. He is of all history, creation, and he has the last word in new creation, end quote. It is this God who now declares. It's like he backs 21. Why? Because I, it is done because I said it is done. It is this God that John is now writing about who's giving the update with the churches we're going through, get going. In verse 6b, he says, I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of water of life without cost. are thirsty, I will give them water cost. God is selling nothing. There is nothing for sale. It cannot even be bought. We see it in John chapter 4 where there we have the well for water, right? And you give him will never thirst. The water that I give him will become a well of water springing up to life. And the woman says what? This person says me this water. So that I never have to come back here again. So that I never have to draw water again. So that I never have to be thirsty again. She was focused. I no longer want to have to gather water in the heat of the day. Bites repentance. He says, go and get your husband. And he enters into that dialogue with her as he calls her to repent. She got it in the end. But here with this water, it doesn't cost you anything. There's nothing that you can do for it. You can't work for it. You can't live rightly for it. It is totally free. Do you have a desire for God? Do you desire to have a relationship with this God? Or is it just things that we try to get from this God that we... That's the only requirement. The promise was shown to John. The promise was heard by John. The promise was ratified by God. And he says that he will be my son. Usually what happens is, and here you think of the inheritance as the son after a person dies. But here, no. The inheritance is given upon life. Upon life. The place at his death will be given to us upon. But the decision, right? The decision must be yours. The decision must be mine. Am I thirsty? Do I desire this water? Do I desire a relationship with worth? Is this a desire that I have? He who overcomes, it's he who overcomes that will inherit these things. I will be his God. John was writing to, John was writing to very specific people who were going through very specific situations. 
Just as a brief example, Babylon, in, verse, in chapter 8, there's an angel that coming down from heaven, John, and said, I have great authority, the earth, and illuminate all his glory. And he cries out, what? Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great for demons. She is now seen, these the governing bodies. They are seen for who they are. And in verse 4, come out of her, my people. There's a call to come out of Babylon. And receive her plague. Weep and mourn over her. Why? Because no one anymore buys what they are selling. No longer is there a profit to be made by manipulating people. No longer is there 12 and 13 of revelations that these cargo ships, the kings of the earth that we'll look at next week, have brought into Babylon and the things of the land. And at the very end, what's for sale? The very souls of this slavery that is here being depicted as Babylon. How easy it is to be sold into society, right? To be sold in, in, in a way that, and there's this cry to come out. And those who come out are those who overcome. We'll either overcome. Those are the two options. Both are competitive terms, if you will. Both of them requires and demands us to take a stand. To be an overcomer may indeed cost you your life. It's often spoken of here in Revelation 1, but in reality, you, as an overcomer, have won. Bachman also writes, image for both assessments of warriors, the lamb is victorious. How is that possible? John is able to pose most effectively the crucial issue of how one sees question, isn't it? Find success. What type? In what lies your security? In what lies the things that drive you or things that God has to be victorious? The beast thinks it's won by defeating us. Just as the beast thought it won when it had crucified Jesus on that Friday. And did he not? How can both win? There can only be one winner. Babylon to the slain lamb. Those are the only options. There is no other option. Babylon, these are the ones who will inherit. What gives it? What drives us? Why do we get out of bed in the morning and go to work? Why do we spend our resources, time, and energies, and, and, and money on things? Why do we do that? And that gives us in. Sometimes is that, well, that person is so heavy. Right? Have you ever been called that? If you have that, it's actually a compliment. <laughs> they think it's an insult, but it's not. There's no way possible for good. <laughs> it's an oxymoron. He says, and as he continues from what I read, he says, is the world in a place, is the world a place in which military and political might carries all before it? As to the truth prevails in, where is our security? Where is our identity? How do we define success? What gives us passion? What motivates us? What gets us fired up? Our idols, just like the wooden, like the gold idols that were cast, the things that get you fired up are the things that drive you to God, they will experience a future with God. Look at verse 8, tells us that the cowards, the cowards not so, the coward martyr if need be, the coward, and say God before all else, not God plus anything else, but God alone. Unwilling to do that, those, John says, from God. 
to the celestial city, as John Bunyan calls it in Pilgrim's Progress, right? But it is only those who will endure. The cowardly will endure of this celestial city. Who are overcomers? What will happen as the merchants enter into this new city and this new earth? That'll all be for next week. And what may in this new heaven? Pray. That as we again try to get our mind around heaven, and as we think about the call, a call to savage the area and what they were going through, what they were dealing with. Lord, I pray. I pray that as we on as could heaven and the afterlife, what that may mean like, what that may look like, and, and how that may come about, Lord, that we will not be distracted, but that we'll be focused. And so I pray, Father, that as that we will indeed um, have our mind set upon you and that our passions and our energies and desires are there to endure, to be overcomers.